Hey, what's up, everybody? On today's episode, we are going to be doing a playback of an interview that April and I did with Amanda Joy on the Journey to Joy podcast. We sat down with her and had an opportunity to discuss our relationship, our careers, our parenting, and so many other things. We wanted to share this episode with you. So please stay tuned as we play back the interview that we did on the Journey to Joy podcast with Amanda Joy. I'm April Lovett. And I'm Daryl Lovett. And this is Success in Black and White. The podcast. Where our mission is to bridge the gap between between racial racial boundaries. boundaries. We can't wait to share our stories, tips, and experiences. As well as hear from extraordinary guests. So stay tuned. As we jump into this episode. Today, I am so glad to have April and Daryl Lovett here. April and Daryl are co-owners of the Lovett Co., proud parents of two beautiful babes and hosts of the Success in Black and White podcast. The Success in Black and White podcast started from an idea they had to share their daily conversations with the world. Through their journey as a couple, they have had to learn how to bridge the gaps of their lives between racial and ethnic boundaries and cultures. They teach people how to have difficult conversations and how to earn success in love and in life. April and Daryl's mission is to bridge the gap between racial boundaries. They certainly do bring a lot of joy to the lives of many through the good work that they do. April and Daryl, thank you for being here. It's so good to chat with you. We're excited to be here. We are. It's such a fun podcast and um, we're just excited to be a part of it with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I know your podcast success in black and white is a hit and just reaching so many people all over. So it's pretty cool that we can collab here and chat a little bit about this topic of bridging racial boundaries. So My podcast, Journey to Joy, is all about successful people and how they got to where they are today. So why don't we back up a little bit to the story of you two and how you got to where you are today um, as a successful couple. But tell us how you met and the story of the two of you. (laughs) Well, do you want the real story? Or do you want his side? Should I ask you both for your own vision? <laughs> I'll take your side, um, April. Let's hear it. <laughs> so what had happened was, no, I'm just kidding. So we met back in 2012. Um, we both, you know, just for context, we both work at Florida State University still. Um, he started working in 10, 11, 10. Um, And that that was his undergraduate and his graduate degrees were at Florida State University. My undergraduate and graduate degrees were at University of West Florida. And so I got my degrees there. I worked there professionally for a couple of years. And then in 2012, I came to Florida State University to help open the Health and Wellness Center, which was a brand new building on campus. And so So I'm just telling from my perspective, I'll let him tell his perspective in a minute. 
Um, when I got to campus, like my first week, I remember meeting Daryl, who at that point would be reporting to me. And I was like, I don't think he likes me very much. I thought it was kind of strange that he wasn't in the interview process. I never saw him. And then when I did see him, I was like, oh, hey, like, I'm excited to work with you. And he was like, yeah, like, let's get work done. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if he likes me that much. But then I figured out that he didn't really like me that much because I took the job that he was actually interviewing for as well. And so that's when we met. We um, didn't speak that much except when we needed to for like the first, I don't know, six to eight months of the time that we knew each other. And then I would say like early 2013, we kind of started to break the ice. We had a project that we had to work on very collaboratively and it was a lot of money involved. Um, And so I was like, all right, let's let's just, we got to sit down. We got to do this. And we kind of came to an understanding and we started going out to lunch and we started like hanging out a little bit just to get to know each other. So fast forward to like summer of 2013, I was like, you know what? I really like this guy, but like, I can't tell if he likes me, likes me. Like we're always hanging out, but like, I really like him. I'm starting to like him. Like I thought I didn't like him at all. And then I was like, oh, I'm just so happy that we're friends. And I was like, I like him. I just don't think he likes me like that. And so it was like late summer 2013. And one night I was like, all right, listen, what's going on with us? Like, what is the thing here? What's happening? And he was like, well, (laughs) since you brought it up, let's talk about it. And so like that night we talked about, oh, you know, we like each other and like, let's see how this goes. And we were still in a little bit of like a tricky situation because he still technically reported to me, even though it was like a month later, he was then promoted to like the same level as me. So then it was fine. Like we'd be fine if we were dating. So then we started dating in late fall, 2013. And We've been together ever since. I mean, we've definitely like had ups and downs like every couple does, but we are now what? Oh my gosh, what are we eight years in and two beautiful kids and we've got businesses. We both still work at Florida State. Um, He's still in the same department, but in leadership now. Um, I'm in a totally different department. I went from working in recreation and wellness to (laughs) working in the libraries. (laughs) So, but we still, there are still things that we collaborate on and we figured out in that time, in that 2013 time that we had to force ourselves to like work together and learn how to like each other. It was, it's really interesting because from my vantage point and perspective now, I feel like those skills when we had to do that have helped us create and start and flourish a business that I don't know, like if we didn't have to struggle through that initially, I don't know that we would actually be as successful as we are today. Um, so that's my side of the story. I'll let him talk about his side. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> where, where do I begin? Um, no, I'm not going to erase um, or, or discredit anything that she said, um, because a lot of it was accurate. Um, in the beginning, she mentioned that I didn't like her. I didn't care for her. And from my perspective, I thought it was the opposite way around. (laughs) I thought she didn't like me and didn't care for me. 
um, just as she said I was avoiding her, I felt that she was doing the same towards me. She was avoiding <laughs> me, wasn't trying to talk to me or communicate with me. Um, but once we got through that, just like she said, um, we kind of, you know, kind of uh, grew our relationship and it kind of evolved um, over the time. And we both weren't really looking for a romantic relationship when we first started to um, go out to those lunches and hang out. And I think that because we weren't looking, we got to know each other. We got to know a lot about each other. And then the other side kind of just naturally um, integrated with what we had going on. So as she said, just like in any relationship, you have some challenging times and we had to work through those. And one of the biggest things that we really learned how to do was communicate. And it was so important because um, we are two different people. We are from two different backgrounds, um, two different races. And um, you add that into the equation with just normal day-to-day -day relationship challenges. Um, it kind of forced us to really have some deep conversations and to really explore um, how we wanted to be together. Isn't that so good? You know, I actually think that it is so important to get to know someone for a really long time before you start, you know, labeling yourself as something. So I would say, you know, like six weeks, two months, that sounds pretty good. Like I know in the instant gratification world that we live in, things can happen really quick, but I'm sort of all for that. I love your story that it took a long time. And hey, life is a marathon, not a sprint. So I think you're doing it right. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. I'll tell you that. And um, just bringing your lives together, your different backgrounds. That's really, really incredible. So, um, you know, you talked about your different backgrounds and how you had to merge that when you when you got married and now that you have a family. Um, what's that like? What's it like to be an interracial couple um, in the states, in the you know, in the place that you work in your in your day to day life? What's that like? I'll start off while she gathers her thoughts and and say that I think that it probably was I don't know I think equally challenging, but I was going to say on my side of my family probably more so challenging because. I come from a really big family and my family is Southern. Um, I'm from Georgia, the deep South. Um, and in the cities where, you know, my family resides and where my parents were raised in the background um, and just some of their life experiences and what I was taught growing up, um, I thought would probably introduce some, you know, some challenging things for her um, and having to meet my family and having to hear some of those racial comments or things when she attends family reunions or even go to those small cities and visit with my family. So um, that was the first thing that that I was kind of concerned and worried about and that I thought um, may be challenging for her. Um, I think to answer your question, the day to day, you know, we, we have challenges, but between us and how we handle those, um, I think we get through them. Um, but also on the other side, we have some very rewarding times, you know, with us and our immediate family, our kids. Um, and, and over time, once people um, in your families or external that you 
um, decide to make a part of your extended family, such as your really close friends, like they know who you are and they know what you're about and they support you. Um, they make it really easy for you. Um, and then you kind of learn how to navigate everyone that's on the exterior parts um, of your daily, I guess, routine. Yeah, I mean, I think you put that really well. I would add, you know, from my perspective, and I'm just going to be real talk right now. I feel like we do still live in deep South. It was Jim Crow era, not that long ago. I know that this is a Canadian based podcast, but I'm sure that people are familiar or, or if you're not, you can go look it up. It's, it, it was not a time in us history that anybody should be proud of, even though I'm sure some people still are. And we struggle with that today. You see that in our political system. Um, but but regardless, we live in the deep south and just real talk. I think that, you know, often we are seen as a novelty. Um, and that can be difficult because, you know, we we've talked a lot on our podcast about, especially with kids, um, the fact that some people will look at us and will look at our kids like um the the saviors of racism, right? Like, because we are together as a couple, we have broken this boundary. And a lot of that is what we talk about. We talk about bridging gaps. We talk about kind of bridging this, this, um, divide between, between race. Um, but I think that people think often that if they see a couple that looks so starkly contrast and different, and then they see their kids, they automatically think like, oh, like this is what, this is the new America. And this is the new, like these people are race saviors, right? And they're the, they're the cure for racism. And that's not really the case, you know, because we deal with sometimes stark racism and sometimes stark prejudice, um, both from living in the South, sometimes it's online, sometimes it's with our kids. A lot of times it's very hidden um, microaggressions that are just, um, what do you call it? Passive aggressive, I guess, in ways. And so we have to figure out how to navigate that and how to deal with it. And part of how we've done that, you know, between the two of us, when you enter into our home and into our lives, we're a normal couple with each other. It's just like Daryl, April, like he has, you know, his mannerisms and he has his life and the way he lives and same with me. And so we're just any couple that you would meet. But when we step out of the house, we recognize there's an additional, um, an additional lens that people view us through. And so a lot of the reason that we have focused our podcast on kind of bridging that gap is because the conversations we have to have with each other about the way that we are perceived as a family, we want to make sure that's part of our education to people. Um, and, and so I think that's really important to understand and to know is that, you know, when it's us, when it's us together, like we're on me, he's him. Any other couple, any couple, married couple will tell you, tell you like, that's how we are as a couple, but we do have a lens and we have to be very cognizant of that lens, especially in the frame of our children and what they will experience. Um, and you know, and they know, like our daughter came home when she was three, three and a half. And she said, you know, mommy is white, daddy is brown and I am brown. And we were like, 
That's true. Yes, that is correct. And now let's talk about where did you hear that at three years old? What are the parents of your friends at school talking about? How are they talking about this? Is it positive? Is it negative? Like, there's just so many things that you also have to unpack when you have kids and you want them to feel like their existence is meaningful and it's it shouldn't be any different or perceived any differently than anybody else's. So we had there's so much there that we could talk about and that we do talk about a lot on our podcast. Yeah. And, you know, someone um, pointed out to me the other day that the best way to teach people is to be a model for basically the behavior that you'd like to see of them, whether they're children or, or younger people or just, you know, anybody on the street, like you said, when you go out in public. So modeling that and having a conscious awareness of how you are displaying or modeling that to the world is really, really, really special. And I think, um, you know, I think I, I feel you when you say that people think that you're the solution to racism. It is more complicated than that, but, um, you know, people have their own thoughts and, you know, whatever that may be. Now, it, you mentioned your, your children and they sort of pick up on what um, is heard and uh, what is said, maybe at school. Um, what has it been like raising them? Uh, two beautiful interracial children, um, very small, and they're still learning, obviously, and still picking up. But what what have they noticed about that? Our daughter, she knows, she gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, like we said, she she she's learned. Five yeah, she's five now. She learned at three and. You know, we kind of talked to her a little bit about it then in a kid-friendly way, but now she's five and she's, you know, in school and, you know, she have different friends and, you know, kids, they say, they say things and they say them very raw mm-hmm. and they say what they learn at home and they say what they know. So we have to make sure that we are, um, finding out how she's getting the information and finding out how much she knows, because sometimes she just drops a subtle like hints that she knows about things, but she doesn't really elaborate on how much she knows. So we ask her a lot of questions about, Oh, well, who said that? What did they say? What was going on when it was said? How did it make you feel? Um, and, and that's kind of how we try to find out what she knows. Um, one thing that we do is we, support and encourage her to be proud of who she is and uh, that is one of the things that we really push in her hair and as an example like her hair is long and it's curly and it's very like it has texture to it um and we try to teach her to be proud of it and to embrace it and to also know that she does not have to let people touch her hair she does not have to let people play in her hair um, because a lot of people are intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to make sure that we, we do a, a decent job of, of encouraging her and supporting her to love herself and love who she is. And at the same time, educating her on who she is um, and what may come up in discussions. So, yeah, I mean, and we want our kids to, you know, like Daryl said, be very proud of who they are and know where they came from and to know their the histories 
you know, of both of their lineages. And, and so that's really important to us as they grow up. Right now, they are small. We have a five-year-old, almost a six-year-old, almost a three-year-old. Um, and so Anna, she is, she's understanding more and more. And like Daryl said, she does have, she came home one day and she was like, everybody wanted to touch my hair. And so it's trying to, it's trying to help her understand, like, you don't have to let people treat you like you are a pet or a novelty, you know? And, and so that is one thing. And then the other thing is what is your comfort level? And, you know, we try to just teach her, like, be very careful. We want you to be proud of who you are, um, stuff like that. And, you know, and, and with kids and in the South, I will say, I think that it is very different where we are raising our children than like, if we were in California or like New York city or somewhere that you see a lot more diversity in families and couples. And we have to, we've thought through this and we have to be very, very strategic. You know, for example, when we were moving, we were looking at houses and we found a house that we fell in love with. And the school zone, we were like, I don't, we can't send our children there because it's not very diverse. And that's something that we are looking for is to be able to give our children, you know, experiences with students or with friends that look like them, that have similar backgrounds and experiences to them. And at the same time, that are also very different from them and very you know, diverse from them. And so we had to really explore that. And that was strategic for us just because we don't have a lot of choices where we live um, and it's not super diverse, but, but that's important. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's fun. Our, another, um, another thing that we do have to think through and that we do talk about with each other and we have to, we have to think for our children's futures is that our children, they look like both of us in certain ways, our daughter has much darker skin and our son has much lighter skin. And he looks a lot more like me. She looks a lot more like him. And so it's just things that we have to think through as they grow older. What are, you know, in, in America, unfortunately, we have to think through for black males talking through their safety. At what points do we talk to our son who is, who is biracial and is black about his safety and about what he has to do to be safe and how we support him in that. And so there's a lot that goes into it that we have to think about, you know, and at the same time, they're just kids. Like they want to have fun and we want them to have fun and, and, and get a good education and, and all of the stuff, you know, that everybody wants for their children. Yeah. It's interesting you say that about your daughter's hair, because I was recently watching Sesame Street with my little niece who's one years old, and they actually have a song specifically about hair that sounds very much like your daughter's. So Sesame Street is even educating um, children on differences. Uh, and I'm actually amazed by what they do and how they educate in a, in a fun um, entertaining way, but I totally hear you. And I see that your daughter has picked up a side hustle. <laughs> Good for her. Like parents, like child. I know that has a business. 
Yeah. So she's so cute. She has, um, she has been talking forever since I will say since like quarantine, since COVID happened, we've been quarantining and our kids have been back in school. The schools are very safe and they're taking precautions and stuff, but for a good six or seven months, they were home with us. And a lot of times she'd be like, well, I just want something to do or watch or whatever. And she picked up watching other kids who are like chefs or bakers on YouTube and they have these baking channels and she loved it. So she's been talking for like the past three or four months about wanting to do her baking channel on YouTube. And so she's just, she was like, all right, I'm ready. And we're like, oh no. Okay. (laughs) So how do we support you in becoming a kid baker for YouTube? (laughs) So yes. So follow Adriana's cupcake cafe. She's super cute and she really loves it. I, when I saw that she was a, a vegan uh, baker, I was like, oh, we should collab. I'm all about that, <laughs> but it's adorable and it's very well done. So good for her. And I wish her all the best in that endeavor. Um, how cute. So, you know, you two, you come from very different backgrounds and now you have this company and this podcast all about bridging the gap between racial boundaries. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and where the passion for this came from? Do you want to start? Go ahead. Okay. So (laughs) a couple years ago, I think, oh, you might have to help me with this. I think it was 2017 or 18. 17. 17. Okay. So in 2017, we had been talking very seriously and he had kind of started his own business because he is like a motivational speaker. Um, he's very good at that. And he's very good at just like being inspiring and talking to people and life coaching and like all of these things. And so he's always done that. So I'm like, well, you may as well, you know, start a business for it. Why not? So we talked about that. And he was like, you know, maybe I'll do a podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's do a podcast. So we talked about what would that look like? What could the name be? And we had this, um, what was the name of it? Potential to success. From potential to success. And we're like, all right, like we can go with that. It's fine. It's fine. We got, we recorded our intro, our outro. We had our, our music guy come in. First two episodes. We recorded our first two episodes before we aired them. And so we had like a go date. And it was probably a week before the go date. And I got in the car. He picked me up from work. I got in the car. I said, hey, um, so we need to change the title of our podcast. And he was like, what? <laughs> like, we just did all this work. What are you talking about? It's ready to go. We can't change the name of our podcast. And I was like, it's just not like, it's not catchy. It's going to get lost in all the other success podcasts that people have. And we're really not playing on the fact that we have a very stark reality and viewpoint that people would be like, oh, like that's kind of edgy and it makes sense that they would be success in black and white. And the fact that we are having these conversations, you know, with each other, with other people. And this is probably the point of education where we need to start having them with the world. Like why not share them? And so that's kind of where the name came from. And as we, I think we, we, we alternate back and forth a lot between like our real life experiences in managing people in leading projects and leading initiatives and being entrepreneurs and 
owning a business. And then we fluctuate between our personal lives and talking about race and talking about racism and justice and social justice. And, and so that's kind of where like the direction came from, but we had a really terrible podcast name for like two months. (laughs) We recorded and all, we had to go back and like re-record everything, but it was worth it. This is the, this is definitely where we fit. That sounds great. How did you come up with the name? Did it just come to you that one day when you got in the car? You're like, I got it. Aha. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's how it happened. We were in the car and there were a couple in between. It, we didn't just go from potential to success to success in black and white. Like we, there were a couple in between that we kind of threw out there. Um, and then finally it just kind of snapped and she looked at me and she was like, I think I got it. And I was <laughs> like, all right, let me hear it while I'm open to it. So um, that's how it came up. We were in the car and just kind of driving and um, it stuck and, and, you know, it's working for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's always those random moments that the best ideas come, right? You just got to be in that zone. Um, Now, I know you have your one minute success tips. (laughs) I want to hear it. So give me one of your best, love it, one minute success tips. Oh my gosh. We are, I mean, I'm going to be honest. We haven't done those in a minute, but a minute. In a minute, in a hot minute. (laughs) But hey, we can always pull out minute success tips. Yeah. And I'll start us off and you can chime in. And and as we were talking um, earlier, you know, it all starts with a conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that everything that we promote and everything that we initiate, whether it be training, whether it be coaching, whether it be workshops, presentations, um, it always starts with a conversation and that's how it happened with us. And one thing that we really were um, pushed to do and led to do is to teach people and to try to educate them or help them get help them get different perspectives. And in order for that to happen, two people have to be open to a conversation. And if you want to be successful at anything, um, we are all human. That's why it's called humanity. You're going to need another human in this world to be successful at whatever it is that you want to do. Um, So I say to make it very easy is to be open to the conversation and where it can take you. And if you practice active listening, I feel like both of you can be successful in your own ways and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, I think, and then for me, I would say that (laughs) I will tell you this, this is a little bit about my background since I got to Florida state university. And since we started our business and started this podcast, and I'm still active in both very active in both, obviously they're both jobs for me, but since I got here, I have not had one position that has been established before I got into it. And so I've always continued and I've had, since I've been at Florida state, I've maneuvered four or five different positions now. And so for me, the name of my game is, and the name of my game to success and even to finding joy, if we tie back to your podcast is being able to be flexible and adaptable. And I think that we found that not only in our business, we have flexed and we have, I know everybody hates this word, but I actually love the word pivot because I think it's really, really important. I think not only is it important this year, this is the year that everybody is talking about, oh, we pivoted. Like that's the word of the year for 2020 is pivot. 
If you weren't doing that before, you are going to be miserable and you are probably not going to be super successful because you have to be able to flex and adapt with your surroundings. It's how we work in relationship with each other, with our family. It's how I've been successful in professional endeavors. It's how we've been successful in our business and with the podcast. And so, you know, we're not afraid to try again or try something new or to adapt to changing environments or the changing world. So I guess that's my one minute (laughs) for you. You, April, you have said that you're very, like, you're a very organized person. So do you normally have a plan? You're ready to go with an approach, but then you're also quick on your feet. If you want to use a sports analogy and, and you're able to pivot, is that how you have found success? No. Um, so I, not. So when we, this is another thing that makes us work very, very well. He's super process oriented. It is a learned skill for me to be very organized. It is something I have to do now because of the nature of the positions I'm in at Florida State University. Um, And so I have learned how to do that, but it is not by my nature. My nature is um, the best thing I can equate it to is like, if you have ever done true colors, I'm an orange, like I'm an adventurer. I, I jump into things head first and I'll be like, we can do this. It's fine. Let's jump in because if we don't jump in, we'll never know. Right. So my proclivity is to do that initially. And I've had to learn how to tailor that back a little bit while not completely stamping out that fire. So I've taught myself organization. I've taught myself process. And now process is very, very important to me, but it's still not natural. And so I have to practice it over and over and over again to be good at my job now. Um, But for him, it's a little bit different. And it's the reason we complement each other so well in business and in our relationship, because he's very cautious. He thinks through things like you're supposed like people are supposed to that I don't usually do. He's like process oriented. And so we're able to complement each other with the initiatives that we have, with the way that we work, with the way that we parent. Um, It just works. It works very well like that, but I am not super organized Mm -hmm. by nature. I have to be now, but that's self-taught. I understand. I am a fellow orange. Well, actually I'm on the line between orange and blue. I'm, I'm sort of half and half. So I get that jumping in head first. Um, that's very much me, but Daryl, you're the process guy. You're, you're, you're the guy that has the, the technical skills and the plan. So what's, what's it like, um, being successful coming from that approach? You know, I like to do it once. Um, and that's my motto. Take some time, think through it, do it once and do it right. Um, and, and like April said, we complement each other because she pushes me a little bit um, because I can spend a little bit of time turning the wheel. And she, she gives me a little push and, and I kind of, you know, initiate some things. And it kind of keeps us moving forward. Um, I think that uh, as a part of, of, you know, what I talk about when I'm giving inspiration to people, it's about positioning yourself. Um, Before you can put in the work or do any work, you need to position yourself. And that's where I like to spend a lot of my time positioning myself so that when it's time to do the work, I'm efficient and effective with it it the first time. Um, I know you talked about sports and gave the sports analogy. 
Um, in sports, it was all about technique. You know, it was all about the fundamentals. It's all about putting yourself in position to make the right play at the right time. So that's kind of how my mentality is. Um, no wasted movements. You know, I want to make sure that when I hit it, I hit it square on and I'm successful with my approach. Um, so it, it it is challenging sometimes when when April is just diving off the board head first and have not taken the time to look down and see what's down there. And, you know, I've thought it through, so I'm diving in to catch her and save her, um, but also keeping us afloat. So um, I, I do appreciate having her as a partner because um, I can get stuck sometimes and I do need her to give me that push. And then in reverse, when she's ready to just jump, I kind of grab her and pull her back and say, hold on for a second. Did you see that down there? And she's like, oh, my gosh, I totally missed that. How can we work around that? Let's go. Um, so uh, that, that would be from my side. Seems like a perfect pair and a really good balance. You know, if you were all, if you were both one way, uh, maybe that wouldn't work so well in your relationship. But um, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how do you have a successful relationship? What are the daily non-negotiables that you invest into your relationship that has brought you the success in life and in business and in love? Ooh, she pointed to me. You're, this is a setup. She, <laughs> want, she wants me to go first. You go first. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is a setup. I love you so much, April. <laughs> I love you so much. Um, <laughs> I think that one of the things that I've talked about earlier um, was that communication piece and, and having a conversation and finding out um, if you don't know what the love languages are, finding out what your partner's love language is. And we've gone through that and we've identified those and um, really making sure that we are doing our best to, to let each other know how we're feeling in the moment and not waiting for it to um, fester or, or, or blow up. I mean, that's for positive and good. So like if something's going on that's positive, we are celebrating it together. And if there are some challenges that we're having um, in our relationship, we're addressing them together in the moment. Um, that's one of the things that we try to do, obviously, in any relationship. And then you throw in two kids, um, you know, timing sometimes doesn't work out. But one of the things that, that we have committed to, I know you said those non-negotiables that we have committed to was making sure that we addressed it and there were no lingering issues. And, and sometimes we don't talk about it in that exact moment, but within appropriate amount of time, we get to it and we get to the bottom of it and we make sure that there's a resolve that comes from the conversation. So that's that non-negotiable that you're talking about. Um, and just like anybody, we have our ups and our downs. Um, but our goal is to not try to avoid the ups and downs, but to work through them together. Yeah, I think one of the things that I love that, uh, honestly, Daryl has taught me in this relationship, and it's something that I feel like we are constantly doing, is we're constantly checking her. So if something, you know, does have, and it's, and it's hard because there are kids and work and we're busy and we're still working from home. And so it, it can be hard to do that. But, you know, um, he is really good about checking on me. Like, 
you okay? Or like, do you need to talk about anything? And then if we do happen to like have a disagreement or get into a fight, one of the things that we're good at now, I can't say that we always were good at this, but I think now we're good at knowing how to, we know each other's trigger points and we both respectfully try to avoid those as much as possible. And then once we get through the initial, like, this is why I was hurt, or this is why I was hurt. We're coming back together to say like, okay, let's readjust. And and I think that goes back to the being adaptable and flexible. And that's why it helps our relationship is like, let's readjust. If that's not working, here's something that you can do, or here's something I can do, or here's something we can do together. And I think that we're both bad at, well, he's always been fairly good at that. I'm a lot better at that. And that's, you know, of course, in the course of relationship, like you're going to have one partner that learns how to do that from the other. And you just have to learn from each other and balance each other. And I would say another thing that I think, you know, it's something I noticed that I think that we're both really good at is just being support for each other. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. If he's like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or can you help me with this? I'm like, yeah, like that is, unless I have like a work deadline, like that becomes a priority for me because this is, this is it for me. This is my relationship. And I've noticed he does the same thing for me. And so, you know, I think the support, the, the helping each other um, and that open communication, you know, like Daryl was talking about earlier, that's just, it's a learned thing and it's not always perfect. And we have to acknowledge that, like, we want to get this right. And getting it right also means that when we're wrong, we just figure out how to adapt it so we can get it better next time. Um, so yeah. Nice. That's awesome. So if there's anybody listening, um, what, well, if there's any couples listening, I should say, what it, what's your best piece of relationship advice that you could give to them? We did an episode we did. about the, the cleaning and like, oh my gosh, figuring out. <laughs> it's a good episode. It's a really I, good episode. I don't remember which one it was, but it was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. So, and I'll start off by saying for any couples, um, and we both alluded to it in our responses, um, making sure that you understand each other. Um, and, and I threw out the love languages. I think that's a great point, making sure you understand um, what each other appreciate, um, knowing and identifying those, those triggers, I think is good, which comes through communication and having those tough conversations. Um, I think that one of the most important things is just making sure that you're both open to growing together. Um, I know that's something that I had to adjust to really quick with April um, because like I said, I'm very process oriented and, and, you know, I kind of get to my lane and I like to stay in that lane and keep chugging that lane. And then sometimes, you know, it's not effective for what we're trying to do together in our relationship. Um, and like April said, being able to adapt and adjust but um, I think that one of the key components in emotional intelligence is that self-awareness piece, um, making sure that you are self-aware of those things. And I know that about myself. Um, and then the second comp component in the emotional intelligence piece is the self-management piece. Um, so making sure you know and understand how to manage that once you are aware. So once I was aware that I can 
you know, get in my lane or get in my ways as a better way to put it. Um, how am I managing that when there's something that we need to do or work on together as a couple? Um, that would be my advice. If you don't know emotional intelligence, go learn and figure that out because <laughs> that will save a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I echo that. And this is, it is, <laughs> I will say it's nice because this man studied emotional intelligence in his master's, um, like his coursework, your thesis was mm -hmm. EI. Okay. And so he knows this in and out, and that is definitely an advantage. Daniel <laughs> Goldman? Yeah, Daniel Goldman. Daniel okay, so go pick Daniel Goldman up if you're like curious about emotional intelligence. I do love that you mentioned our episode, um, and we called it, It's Not Your Job to Do the Dishes. Yeah. That is still one of our most downloaded episodes. I guess it's evergreen, but people are constantly coming back to that episode because it's where we talk about how we negotiated the roles in our household to best support each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that going back to like the relationship and the communication piece, it's still ongoing communication because there might be things that we're just used to doing, or it it's really negotiating how to, for me, how to ask for help. I'm terrible at asking for help. And so it's, <laughs> how do I better do that so he can better help me? And then how can he tell me, Hey, I need you here. I need you to help me do this. And so we really talked through that and it's still, it's one of our best episodes for sure. Yeah. Catchy name. And, uh, I love that. And, you know, I listened to uh, Jay Shetty the other day talk about um, his his annual podcast episode that releases around Valentine's Day. It's always him and his wife as his guest. And they talked about um, roles within the household they've established, but not necessarily because of gender. And so I think it's really cool that you guys are like, you you communicate you look at it like a task and you communicate on on how you're going to get it done and how it's going to be efficient sort of like a business plan or anything else that is running in your world but how do you do it all like you both have professional jobs you have a business you have children you're members of the community you um enjoy hobbies how do you manage that all and still have the energy to thrive and find joy in life. I'll say this, and, and this is for everyone that's listening. And some of you may know, and, and then if you don't know, I would encourage you to do some self-reflecting and find out, find out. But if you know what your purpose is and you live within your purpose, everything that you do usually kind of rotates around that purpose and it makes it a little bit easier. I'm not going to say it makes it completely easy, but it makes it a little bit easier because everything that you're doing has a purpose. There's a reason for it and it's within your, your purpose that you're living for. Um, so when you ask that question, um, I know what my purpose is and, and everything that I'm doing and that we're doing together, it kind of revolves around our purpose individually, as well as our shared purpose um, as partners. Um, so when you're talking about um, working for me, like the area that I work in and the job that I do, um, I feel like it's my purpose because of 
I believe in inspiration. I believe in holistic well-being. I believe in taking care of yourself and thriving in that in that way. Um, and that's kind of what I encourage and inspire people to do. Um, and I know for April, her skill set and her purpose and and what we've kind of found out is like she is freaking awesome at storytelling, at finding out the pieces that puts the story together and how you tell that story and share your experiences. And everything that we do, it's kind of about that. You know, we talk about bridging the gap between racial boundaries. How do we do that? Through our lived experiences, sharing that story and inspiring people to engage in conversations to learn more about how they can be a bridge or serve um, other people to find out bridging the gap. So for me, that's how I see it. Um, when you're talking about all the things, yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes energy. Yes, it takes resources. But we know that it's a part of our purpose. And we know that we're living within that. So it makes it a little bit easier. And we know that it's valued beyond measures of anything like earthly for us. Mm -hmm. and, and yes to all of that. Something that is really important to us, to both of us, is obviously within that finding our purpose, stating what our purpose is. But I also encourage people to dig a little bit deeper into what that means and maybe go down into what is the foundational level of that. So like Daryl said, my purpose is storytelling. And I know that because I'm good at it. I can learn things very quickly when I understand that it is about telling a story. So for instance, I grew up as like a gym rat and like a, I'm a runner. And like, I knew I loved recreation and now I'm a data analyst. And there is no way that anybody could tell me like, you're going to go from like playing soccer to like being a data analyst. Like nobody could have told me that. But when I understand at the foundational level, it's part of what my purpose is, that helps tremendously. And to dig a little deeper, a lot of my purpose has to do with service. And because I know that and I understand that, that storytelling is part of that service aspect for me, but then there's this foundation of service for me. And when I'm in service to others, that's where I find my joy. That is where I find my meaning. When I know that I can do things that people, people are like, why do you want to analyze that data set for somebody? And I'm like, I'm serving them. Like service is part of my foundational purpose. And that's where I find my joy and my meaning from. And so I just encourage people, if you, I think you need to identify your like higher level purpose. It can be broad. Your purpose doesn't have to be like, I want to be a sports star, like find your purpose and then dig deeper. If it's, if it's something that you're like, well, I don't see how all of my everyday fits into this figure out what does. Maybe it's service. Maybe it is, um, you know, family. Maybe it's faith. I don't know what it is, but figure out what, figure out what that foundational purpose for you is so that you will have joy no matter what it is. And then you can do all the things that you need to do to, to get there. That's so interesting because tonight I just did a Facebook live on the five questions that I get ask the most as a life coach and that is one of them one of the questions that i get asked the most is how do i find my purpose so people will come to me um maybe a little bit lost or at a 
point in their life where they have to choose a direction and that's what they're searching for. So as two people who know and embody your purpose day in and day out, um, what would your advice be for someone um, who's looking to find their purpose? How do you find your purpose? How did you find your purpose? Maybe I should put it that way. Yeah, so I'll tell you. For me, um, and, and and I'll answer the question as well, and I'll make it as short as possible and sweet because this can be a very lengthy answer for me. But um, I think that people try to make it a lot deeper than what it really is. It's not really that deep. Um, you find the things that you are naturally good at, that you're naturally talented at, that naturally makes you feel good, um, and that's where you start and you explore those things. It definitely takes a lot of reflection, which I'm sure you know a lot about and, and maybe a part of your process. But a lot of times people's purpose is based around what other people have told them it should be or what they should do. And it's not based on what their skill sets are, what they're naturally good at, um, what naturally makes them feel good about what they're doing. Um, so for me, you know, my purpose I didn't know what it was because it was based off of what everyone else was telling me I was good at or what I should have been doing or what I should do or what I should pursue. And that's what I was trying to build and base my purpose off of. And until I took time and self-reflected and spent a lot of personal time with myself, I was like, man, this comes so easy. I'm good at this. Why am I not doing this more? Wow, this actually makes me feel good to inspire and motivate people. Why am I not doing this more? wow, like I can thrive in this. Why am I not doing this more? Um, and after taking time to self-reflect and, and, and kind of writing it down and getting out of my head and stop, you know, being so deep about it, um, that's when I was like, like, this is it. Like it comes natural. I'm actually good at it. And it makes me feel good to do it. Um, and I was like, I, I think I want to try this and pursue this a little bit more. And obviously, which I'm pretty sure um, in your process, you encourage, like you have to take time with it, you have to develop it, and you have to build it, and you have to um, continue to educate yourself and grow in those areas. But once you find out what you're naturally good at, what your natural abilities are, and what makes you feel good, um, that's kind of a starting point. Yeah, I mean, I think I echo everything he said, and I just think that it's so important. Like so many people live for what other people are telling them, them to live for or what they think they should be doing their lives or shouldn't be doing with their lives. And if you get caught up in all that, then you're going to be miserable because it's not you. It's other things that people have placed on you and their expectations for where you should be. And I love that about the story that Daryl tells when he goes out and he talks and he tells a story about where he's at now and how he got there and the places he was at just were dictated by, by what other people assumed he should be doing playing in the NFL, you know, like doing all these things that it just, it wasn't in his heart to do. And so I love that he tells that story. And I also just want to add that when people, if it's hard for people to figure out what their purpose is. I'm a big advocate. I know some people are like, oh, personality tests, blah, blah. But I'm a big advocate for some of these like strengths finder. Um, I like the disc. I think that there are definitely some personality, you know, tests or assessments or whatever that 
even if they're, if they seem very surface level, they can give you insight into who you are and maybe what some of your value systems are and what some of your strengths are, because then you can take that and you can further explore what you're naturally good at and what you should be doing and what comes easy for you and what you like to do. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's not as complicated as some people, you know, imagine it is simple like you said April and Daryl like you said just what are you good at and what what lights you up every day do that right um there's a lot of noise out there and people can get bombarded by everything coming at them and what they should and shouldn't do and so I have a question for you um if you could give yourself one piece of advice so let's say 10 years ago giving your younger self one piece of advice what would that be? April, you want to go first? Yeah, we'll let April go first. We'll let April go first. Oh my goodness. I honestly, you know what? I in this the I guess this is probably like cheating a little bit because I'm going back to what Daryl has just talked about. But the same way that there were expectations for him, there were expectations for me. And a lot of those were self-imposed expectations of what I was supposed to be and do based on society, based on friends, based on family, based on what I thought other people thought I should be doing. And I think if I could go back to 10 years ago, I would say like, find what makes you happy, find the things that bring you joy and do them in a way that brings you joy, not in a way that is just to make other people happy and to fulfill what they expect of you. Um, I think that that has, if anything, that's probably been the one thing that has most affected my self-confidence, my self-efficacy has given me imposter syndrome, has, has really just played with what I would say would have been success a long time ago. And I had to really learn. And it's, it's an ongoing journey to learn how to let go of those other people's expectations of what you should be or should be doing or performing or whatever it is. Because once you do that, I think that's when, when we found each other and we, you know, found our stride and we found the way that we fit together and we could support each other. And we don't have, we have just the expectations that we can continue supporting each other and then being happy and living in the purposes that we are supposed to be in, not the ones we expect from each other that we put on each other. Um, and so I just, that's the advice I would give to myself 10 years ago. That's real talk right there. I love it, April. Mine is simple and mine is it's okay to not play it safe. Mm-hmm. that simple it's okay to not play it safe um you know coming from my background and my upbringing and you know my living situation and socioeconomic status and how I was kind of raised it's like you do this and it leads to this and it leads to this and you do this and then you die <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like okay and, and that's kind of the life expectancy that I had and um, and I think it's also one of the reasons why, you know, I am the way that I am with the process thinking and the you know, thoughtfulness and everything that I do, which um, I think definitely benefits me now in certain ways. 
Um, but then also I think that it holds me back in certain ways. And that's where April comes in that to give me that push. Um, and, and I think that if I could tell myself something, you know, 10 years ago, it's like, it's okay to not play it safe, period. So take some risks, get out there, try some things, figure it out, learn, grow. Um, and, and don't play it safe where you just kind of stagnant and you go through life and you don't reach your peaks and then you just die. Um, I know that sounds so horrible, but um, I think that's what I would tell myself. That is really great advice. And you are both very inspiring. So if someone needed some inspiration from you, uh, they wanted to follow you, get to know you a little bit better, where could they find you on social? <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm laughing. Oh, that's a good question. Um, and I'm laughing because I am, you can follow me. I am Daryl Lovett on everything. That's that's Facebook, that's Instagram, that's Twitter, that's LinkedIn. So it's I am Daryl Lovett. Um, but if you're following me for inspiration, um, <laughs> you just got to have to go with me on my journey because I'm so random. It's like one day I might just give you the inspiration that you need. And then the next day, I just might give you the laugh that you need. Um, so just be willing to go with me on that journey. I am I am not a deep person all the time. Um, and I think that's something that I've had to learn how to do. Um, because like I said, in my upbringing, like I, I was taught not to take risks, like to be serious, make sure you're representing yourself well. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Now, I just kind of go with it on how I feel. So, so one day you might get something very inspirational. One day you might get something that's very funny. One day you might get something that's just random off the wall. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to give that disclaimer. But follow me everywhere. I am Daryl Lovett. That's on all the social media platforms. I would say at this point, I am also super random in what I post. And I mean, you might get something inspirational. You're probably usually going to get something about the business, um, about our podcast. You might get something inspirational. You're probably going to get something about the kids or like a vegan recipe. Um, but, you know, in reality, and and this is also... We spent a long time trying to figure out social media. And I say that knowing right now that we probably sound like the old, like a boomer or something. We're not boomers, but we probably sound like that. But the reality is, you know, everybody tells you, oh, if you have a business, you need to be constantly like content creating and you need to like be doing all that. There's like all these quote unquote unofficial rules that you need to be doing. And I think what we found out is for us, that was incredible incredibly stressful. There was a period of time that we were doing that. We derived no joy from that. I'm speaking for both of us because we've had this conversation. Neither one of us derived any joy from that. And so now I feel like we have a better balance where we know our priorities. Our priorities are each other, our family. They are our jobs, um, our podcast, and then social media when we get to it and we catch up with people. All that said, I am still active when I can be, and you can find me on all of my handles are at April Dawn Lovett. Um, and you, and if you hit me up, I will get back to you. You, I try to check once a day. I try to check once a day. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Not him. But, but I mean, it is we would love to meet you there. We actually end up checking 
we actually end up checking our website and our emails a lot more than we check social. Um, so successinblackandwhite.com is our website. You can find our podcast information. You can find out more about us. You can also find our social media handles on there. If you just forgot everything we just said after I talked your ear off, um, we also have consulting business and, um, and we'd love to talk more about that. If you have questions about it, feel free to email us, but, um, yeah, find us there and start there and then find us on socials and we'll end up posting. And honestly, our daughter is probably going to be the one that posts the most with her <laughs> little cupcake cafe. She's so cute. <laughs> yeah. Follow the five-year-old entrepreneur as well and her, her baker's journey to success. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story, for talking real talk, April, especially you tonight. Um, it was great to get to know you a little bit more and uh, everyone listening, be sure you uh, check out their website, follow them on social and get to know them a little bit more. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I really enjoyed this conversation yeah. and we've known you for a while and, and we have very similar backgrounds and histories and um, we were excited to come on your show. And I just really, I want to take a moment too, because what your audience maybe doesn't know is that we are also recording this for our audience, which I think is so cool because who doesn't love collaboration? Um, will you, I know your audience probably already knows you, but for our audience, will you just tell them a little bit about your podcast? Um, so they can find you and where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is Journey to Joy podcast, and uh, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and it's all about the premise of everybody who has found success has had a journey um, of how they got there. And wow, by having this podcast, I have learned so much about people's journeys, and you just never know what someone has gone through to get to where they are today. And so that's all about what the podcast is. Um, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and I talk to a lot of people um, interested in business and in health. So those are my sort of um, things that find me joy. So that's what this podcast is all about. And you can find me on social, Amanda Joy Gill. So Instagram um, and Facebook at Amanda Joy Gill. And the website is amandajoygill.com. Perfect. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Success in Black and White, the podcast. The podcast. Music podcast. engineered and produced by DJ Vance. Remember that you can join our email list at successinblackandwhite.com for more ways on how you can help bridge the gap between racial boundaries. I'm April. And I'm Daryl. We're, We're out. out.